Psalm 20 is where my dear friend James Canope is going to open up the Word of God. If you haven't met James and Meredith, um, please take time just to visit with them after, uh, after the service. And just so you know, it's Canope, uh, not Canoopy. Um, if you look at the way they spell their name, it's um, Canope. I was informed it's Canope, you dope, and I've never forgotten it. <laughs> It's stuck. So we're going to be in Psalm 20 as soon as Dan can get there and quit telling pastor jokes. Yes. Hang on one sec. Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation in the name of our God. Set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed, He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Father in heaven, Lord, we we turn our attention to your precious, holy, inerrant, inspired word. And God, we want to give appropriate reverence for the truth. God, this is what you have spoken. This is what we are desirous to hear from. And God, you have graciously brought a bearer of the word from another local church to come and share. And Father, I ask for your blessing on my brother James as he stands before us, exalting Christ and declaring the good news of the gospel from this psalm. I pray, Father, that you would give him just great joy in the ministry of the word, any fear or nervousness, Lord God, I pray, just take away, free him to declare the greatness of, of our God. I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amber and I have really grown to love, um, well, Meredith, but James is married to her, so he's here too. <laughs> and so, brother, if you would, come and, and open the word. Well, and thank you for uh, allowing us uh, to be here this morning and me to speak. Uh, whether, whether you had a choice in it or not, I don't know. But um, this is our, I think, third time, third time here. Dan, is that Amber? Is that right? Third. And uh, we were here, I think, like the Sunday before we moved out to, to North Dakota, which is, which is where we're at. And uh, then we came November of 19, I believe. Um, and then uh, now. And... We love coming to Oregon, and we love coming to Oregon for, for several reasons. I mentioned this. Uh, one is uh, we have family here. 
Uh, you've, you've got the ocean here. If you didn't, if you didn't know that, it's, it's over there somewhere. And uh, yeah, we love coming here for you guys. Um, I love this church family. Um, I, I, love, I love the church I grew up in. I love the church where we minister, and I, I love this church family. I love hearing from you guys. You guys are, are just tremendously supportive of us. You've sent us emails and cards, and uh, you just check up on us all the time. I think there was a snowstorm one time, and, and one of you checked to see how we were doing. It's, it's amazing. Um, so thank you. Thank you for that. It's, it's so great to be here. Um, like I said, we serve in North Dakota. We've been there for two and a half years with Village Missions. And if you don't know Village Missions, they, uh, um, they send missionaries to, to rural places. And part of the deal is that you don't, you don't get to pick where you go. And uh, we would not have picked North Dakota. Um, but, uh, but that's where we were sent. And it has had struggles. It has had joys. Um, it has had... We're not North Dakotan. If you know us at all, we're just, I'm just not. And they, you know, they uh, went to a branding one time and showed up in like flip flops. And <laughs> that's how they show up in, apparently. And, and they're jumping off, jumping off horses and, and, you know, doing who's, who knows what. And, and I watched from a safe distance and uh, didn't get invited back the next time. But, <laughs> but the Lord is good. Um, Psalm, the Psalms have been, for me, throughout my life, one of my favorite places to go. Uh, and, and I mentioned this in the first service. I, I had a writing major. I love stories. I love poetry. And, and so this sort of thing just really uh, resounds in me. I, I love this sort of thing. Uh, Meredith does not. Meredith, uh, Meredith likes books that just tell you what to do. And, and so, uh, I don't know, maybe we balance well. But the, last, the past year was hard for us, and, and it was hard for a lot of people, but it was, it was, just, uh, it was hard for us too. And the, I, I wish I had, I had come back to this psalm earlier, um, before all that happened, uh, things that happened. And, and, uh, but as I've come here, this has just been a joy to me every, every time I read it. And really over the past two months, I've, I've read it uh, almost every day. And uh, the, the crux of what I want to share this morning is verse 7. But I want, to, I want to read the verses that lead up to that so we have some context. It says the Psalm of David, it, it starts out probably as the people uh, declaring a blessing to David. And, and Dan read this. And largely what they're doing here, they're, they're praying a blessing over David in the midst of some sort of trouble You'll see that verse 1, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Don't know when this was because David had a lot of days of trouble. But in whatever day of trouble this is, they pray for David. They pray God's blessing over David. And it's really neat. It's, it's only five verses, and if you were to pray this, uh, it doesn't take very long. And yet there's a tremendous amount of richness in what they're praying or, or blessing over David. A lot of times, someone will ask you to pray for them. Uh, no one here is probably guilty of this, but I am. Someone will ask you to pray for them, and, and one of two things happens. Either you say yes, and you forget, because uh, we're busy and go about life, and you know they come back to you, thank you for praying for me. 
Oh, shoot. <laughs> I forgot to do that. I'm glad the Lord worked it out. Um, or we pray something like this, Dear God, uh, please help them with, with their problem, uh, the end. And that's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's still, it's still good that we're praying for them. Uh, but as you read your Bibles more and more, you'll see that prayer can just be this incredibly rich thing. Um, I don't know, especially as a young person growing up, prayer just seemed really boring. And sometimes someone would pray for, you know, centuries, it seemed like. And it's just be like, how can they pray that long? Um, but when you're praying stuff like this, it's pretty incredible, really. Look at, look at what they're praying uh, and you can take anything. You can take a safe trip. You can take a, an illness. You can take an a, a, a addiction struggle. You can take whatever. And, and, and you pray something like this, Lord, would you answer their prayer request? Verse 1. Lord, w- w- would you answer? I can't do anything about this. They've come to me because it seems like maybe the doctors can't do anything about this. Or maybe uh, their will isn't strong enough. So, Lord, I don't want any of them to answer. I want you to answer their prayer requests. That's why I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you, Lord, first. Because you're the healer. You're the one that helps. So I'm coming to you. And I'm asking you to send help. Send help from your sanctuary. In other words, send, send supernatural help. He doesn't have what it takes. You hear that a lot growing up. You have what it, you know, do you have what it takes? And the answer is almost always No. Uh, you don't have what it takes, but you know somebody who does. So, so, Father, would you come in? Would you give them supernatural strength? Would you remember that they've been so faithful? That's what verse 3 is really about. They've been so faithful in serving you. And, and their heart's desire is to know you more and to be more like you. That's verse 4. And so would you grant their heart's desire? Because certainly you want to. It's, it, they want to know you more and, and serve you more. Would you do that? Would you fulfill all your purposes for them? God, you have a great purpose for them. I don't know what it is, and maybe they don't know what it is, but you know what it is, and so would you do it? And verse 5, we will rejoice in your salvation. That's what Dan mentioned earlier. Uh, so many times we, we, when we do remember to pray some, for somebody, we forget to thank the Lord when he answers that request. So I say, we will rejoice in your salvation, in your saving. When you answer, Father, we won't say, oh, thank goodness uh, uh, this worked, or, or they ended up figuring it out, or circumstances changed. No, you saved them. And thank you. In the name of, the God, uh, of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. In other words, it's a very God-focused prayer. It's a prayer that remembers who's really in charge. It's a prayer that remembers who is the only one that can do anything about anything. So that's the prayer. That's the blessing that they have over David. And hearing this, David replies in verse 6, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. David was the anointed king. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. David says, now I know. Why does David say, now I know? Because if, if, if you've read David's story, uh, David's been walking with the Lord a long time. God has saved him from giants and bears and lions and tigers and all sorts of other you know, things. And, and he knows this already. 
He knows that the Lord saves, so why does he say, now I know? I think partly because there's this sense where all of us, and David included, choose to follow God once and for all. Right? David probably, as a, as, as, a young, as a young child, grew up in a family and decided to serve the Lord. He had a, had a heart that uh, uh, had a heart like God's, man after God's own heart, and, and, he, and he desired to walk with the Lord. And yet, there seems to be this daily choosing, this daily uh, remembering that God is the one who saves. Now I know. David's uh, offered his, his sacrifices. He has the blessing of the people over him. The Lord's been prayed to, and David says, now I know. A sense where we, we, we give our lives to Christ, but every morning we have the opportunity to choose again. We've chosen once and for all, and yet I wake up today and say, I choose again. Maybe, maybe I'm, I, I, there's something inspiring from, from God's word or a conversation or a song or a prayer, whatever it is, and, and, but the Bible says that his mercies are new every morning, and so that morning I wake up and I say, I don't know what I'm going to face today, but I know that God saves, and I walk in that knowing. That's what David's doing here. Now I know that the Lord saves. And then we come to verse 7. And, and verse 7 really just it captures what we just read through 1 through 6. And either David or maybe all the people together say, some trust in chariots, some place their trust in chariots, and some in horses, but we will trust, or I'm reading the New King James, it says, remember the name of the Lord our God. Now, I asked this in the first service. I'm curious. How many of you really trust in chariots this morning? It's the same. It's the same. That's so interesting. Nobody <laughs> trusted chariots. They don't have a chariot store, friend? Some trusted chariots and some in horses. I ask because maybe, I don't know, maybe you trust in a horse. Uh, but, but nobody trusts in chariots anymore. That's interesting. We'll come back to that. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust or remember in the name of the Lord our God. Now, this isn't just random. There's this, there's this really cool theme that happens throughout the Old, uh, throughout the Old Testament. And, and if you've never read the Old Testament because it's, it's you know, kind of boring or wordy or whatever, I, I encourage you to go back and, and, and look for this theme and a lot of other cool themes, but this theme of horses and chariots. Because you go back to early Israel, Israel's in, in Egypt, and they're not really a nation yet. They're just kind of this hodgepodge group of, of people that have grown up in slavery their whole lives, their parents' lives, their great-grandparents, great-parents. They've been in slavery forever. It's, it's the family occupation. And one day God comes and he says, I'm going to pull you out of that. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to make you my special people. And I'm going to draw you out of Egypt. And so he does that. And all these miraculous, wonderful, terrifying signs and, and disasters happen. And finally, Pharaoh, who's in charge, lets them go. And so here's this group of a million or however many people leaving Egypt, and they've been slaves their whole lives. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know where they're going. They're just blindly walking into the wilderness. And Pharaoh changes his mind. He says, you know what? Uh, We have no help now, so we should bring them back. And so the Bible says in Exodus 14 that Pharaoh pursued them with 600 of his choice chariots and all the chariot drivers and all his other chariots. So Pharaoh gets all of his chariots, however many that is, and leading the charge is 600 of his best chariots. I wish we had a chariot person here so I knew what that meant, that they were better. But something about these just bigger wheels or, you know, they were raised or something, I don't know. But they're coming out with all these chariots and all these horses, 
And the children of Israel have no way to defend themselves. They've got the, you know, they come up to the Red Sea. So the Red Sea is here. There's wilderness here. There's wilderness here. There's Pharaoh and all his horses and chariots, and they're just going to die. Or at minimum, get brought back into slavery. There's no hope. They have nothing to defend themselves. And like 10 verses later, Israel is on the other side of the Red Sea, and Pharaoh and all his choice chariots and horsemen and horses and not choice chariots, the are at the bottom of the Red Sea. And like verse 8 says, they are broken and fallen. And Israel did nothing. God, if you know the story, God parts the Red Sea, they walk through, that's it. God closes the Red Sea. Israel did nothing but just obey God. And so in Deuteronomy, some time has passed. Moses is an old man. He's about to die, and he's, he's, he's kind of given Israel a pep talk before they go into the promised land. And he tells them, when you see horses and chariots, in other words, when you see people more powerful than you, do not be afraid. God will fight for you. And this ought to have, have uh, brought in their mind a remembering of this story at the Red Sea, when you see them, when you are in this situation, when your back is against the wall and you've got no hope, the odds are stacked against you, do not be afraid. The Lord will fight for you. He tells them this because it happens again. In Joshua, uh, Israel has started to take up the land. They've started to take the southern land and, and one of the kings from the north gets a whole bunch of other kings and he says, hey, let's fight these Israelites and destroy them once and for all. And they all say, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And, and they come and, and they come to battle against Joshua and they've outnumbered them. And in Joshua 11, it says they had many horses and chariots. It says many, it doesn't say how many, so maybe there were too many to count. But there's horses and chariots everywhere. And Israel's still pretty new at this whole conquering thing. And, and, and they've never been that good at it. God just fights for them. And they see all these horses and all these chariots. And God comes to Joshua with a game plan for victory. And he comes to Joshua and he says, Joshua, we've been working at this. Your men have been training hard. You know, we, we, uh, what I want you to do is you're going you're gonna to come around this side and then they're going to come around this side. And God, God says, don't be afraid. I've already fought the battle for you. It's already done. You just basically go live on replay. I've already defeated them. There's no grand instructions. God just says, basically, remember what I did last time. I'm going to do it again. And that's exactly what God does. More time passes. You get to the book of Judges and the story of Deborah. Another awesome story. Uh, Sisera is coming, and he's got his armies coming after Israel. And, and Israel doesn't even have a good leader at this point. It's Barak, who, who doesn't even want to lead. And it says that Sisera came with 900 iron chariots. So we've got more chariots than Pharaoh even, and these ones are iron ones. They're, they're souped up, better chariots, and they're coming against them. And God tells Deborah, arise, the Lord has already won the battle. And that's what happens. The, the chariots do them no good, and Israel just totally wins the battle. It doesn't matter how many, the theme, if you haven't caught it, no matter how many horses there are, no matter how many chariots there are, it's never enough. They're, they're never high-tech enough. Horses and chariots, every time, no matter how good or grand they are, every time they meet God, they're worthless. They disappoint. The theme you see throughout the whole Old Testament is people trust in all sorts of things other than God, 
and it never works out for them. And yet they continue to do it. Jeremiah 9, Jeremiah warns the people, don't trust in wisdom or might. Don't trust in what you know. Don't trust in how strong you are. Why? Because it might get you some places, but when you meet God, it won't be enough. Matthew 6, Jesus warns against wealth. Don't trust in wealth. Money can get you places. But when it meets God, it just turns to ash and rubble. Matthew 19, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks how he can inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, go, sell all that you have and follow me. And it's not because that's how you inherit eternal life. It's because that was the man's God. That's what he wasn't willing to give up was his possessions. That's where he put his trust was in his possessions. And it says that the man went away sad, weeping, sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The possessions were enough to keep trusting in them, but they weren't enough to save him, and they weren't enough to give him joy. Romans 2, Paul warns the people against trusting in their ability to keep the law. Don't trust in how inherently good you are. Says same chapter, don't trust in your ancestry. Just because your parents were so-and-so doesn't mean anything when you face God. The theme throughout the Old Testament, the theme throughout Scripture as a whole, the theme throughout the history of the world is all these things, wisdom, might, power, horses, chariots, wealth, fame, can get you some places, but in the end, they disappoint. In the end, they, as verse 8 says, have bowed down and fallen. And so, David and all the people in Israel don't trust in those things. And that, 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 that's, that's the first lesson here. They don't trust in chariots and horses because it would be foolish to. No matter how great the world makes it look, trust in this, trust in that, trust in a retirement or in these possessions or this car or this job or this whatever, it doesn't last. So David and the people say, we're not going to trust in that. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to trust or remember the name or the character of the Lord our God. When our backs are against the wall, we're going to remember this isn't the first time this has happened. And the last time it happened, and the time before that, and the time before that, and the time before that, might and strength and horses and chariots weren't enough, but remembering who really saves was enough, So we're going to do that. We're going to remember the character of God. Every time God calls his people to do something, he calls them to first remember his character. Not remember that they have what it takes. Not remember that if they, you know, muster up all their strength or if they were in a different situation or if whatever. No, just remember that he's a God who saves and Yahweh saves just happens to be what the name Jesus means. So what do we remember? Remember God saves. Remember Jesus. And remember how Jesus has dramatically and totally saved us. And that's what Paul says. If you want to turn to 2 Timothy, uh, over in the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is writing uh, to a young preacher, young pastor, 
who is uh, more than likely going to go through all the same things that Paul went through in life. And if you're familiar with Paul, Paul was falsely accused, Paul was beaten, Paul was stoned, Paul was imprisoned, Paul was made fun of, Paul was abandoned, Paul was lied to. Uh, It was a hard time being Paul. And there's a good chance that Timothy might go through a lot of these same things. And here's Paul's game plan. Here's Paul's battle cry, if you will, for Timothy in verse 8. 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. Paul says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. When you face these things, Don't fall back on your seminary degree. Don't fall back on your outgoingness. Don't fall back on your charm. Don't fall back on your strength. Don't fall back on whatever. Remember what Jesus did for you. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead for your sins. Remember, uh, keep going, verse 9, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, that's Paul, even to the point of chains, but the word of the Lord is not chained. So, so Timothy, no matter what happens, whether or not you're chained, the gospel can't be chained. So if you remember this, you can't lose. Christ has already accomplished everything on the cross. He has already won the battle. It's just like with David. It's just like with David. The, God comes to, comes to Moses, comes to Joshua, comes to Deborah and says, don't worry, I've already won the battle for you. Just go live it. And for us, and for uh, Paul telling Timothy, you've already won, you've already been saved. He's already accomplished the work on the cross. Just go live it. Just go live it, that the world might know that God saves. That's why God saves Israel over and over again. What happens, what happens when Israel gets to a new country? Almost, almost, or a new, a new place of the world. Almost every time, the people there have already heard what God did. Remember, they, remember they come to Jericho, and, and Rahab's there. And, and Rahab, the whole reason she takes them in is because she's already heard that Yahweh saves. The reason that we remember is so that the world might know. That the world might know that God saves. And finally, we remember not just to not trust in stuff, but we remember to trust even in what we're lacking. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, you you can turn there later if you want. I'm going to summarize it. Paul prays to the Lord. And this is Paul we're talking about. Paul's like, he's just the ideal evangelist, right? He's just just everywhere and he's singing in prison and, and he's beaten and doesn't care. He just keeps going, you know, Paul. But Paul apparently had something in his life that was keeping him from doing ministry as effectively as he thought he could called a thorn. He calls it a thorn in his side. I had a 
sliver in my finger this week that was bugging me to no end. And think about a thorn in your side. It's, it's this idea of something that, that just is, is really inhibiting your ability. And Paul looks to God and he begs him to take away this thorn. He says, Lord, my ministry would be so much more effective if I didn't have this. And you think if there was anyone, right, if there was any prayer request and, and anyone praying the prayer request that God is just sure to answer, it would be Paul's prayer request that he'd be more effective at ministry with this thorn taken away. And God looks at Paul and he says, no. I'm not going to take it away. My grace is sufficient. My power is shown better in your weakness. Well, I, I think we all have something maybe. Um, we all want to serve the Lord. We want to be used by Him. We want to do what He wants us to do, but we feel like maybe there's something that's keeping us from doing as good of a job as we could. I, I, would, I, I would do this, and I feel God may be calling me to that, but I'm not good at this, so I just don't feel like I could do that. Oh, if only I'd been born into a different family, I could serve the Lord better. Oh, if only, if only I had a little bit more money, or if only I, I lived somewhere else, or only if, if this or that, I could serve the Lord better. And maybe we've even prayed, oh, God, would you change that? Would you take away that thorn? And maybe we've asked others, would you pray for me that, that this would go away? If only my health was better than, than this or that. And we pray these things. And my heart breaks for those things. And sometimes God's will and desire is to take them away, but sometimes He says no. For me, I prayed for years that God would take away my shyness. I am incredibly shy by nature, introverted, shy, whatever word you want to use, both combined. Uh, and... I remember, I remember being introduced. I remember, it's funny, the memories that stick with you. I was eight or nine years old. We'd just moved to Minnesota. And I'd already gained a reputation for being the shy kid. And, and someone introduced me once to somebody else. And they said, this is James. He's shy. And I just remember, like, he didn't even give me a chance. Like, now I have to be shy or, you know, you're a liar. And uh, I was just so shy. And, 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 I, and I felt from a young age that, that God might be calling me to, to, to be a pastor, and I put it off. Uh, I put it out of my mind for the most part, just because there's just no way. I'm too shy. I'm just I'm I'm just too shy, and and I prayed. Like I said, I prayed for a long time, especially in college. I've, I've really started to feel the tug to do ministry, and and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. Lord, make me less shy. Make me less shy. And I'm so grateful that God didn't. God, God looked at me and he said no. And, and the reason I'm grateful, uh, it's annoying sometimes. Because I'll, even in my own church, we've been there for about two and a half years, and I'm awful at small talk. I'm so, so bad at small talk. And meeting new people and these sorts of things, it's just painful for me. And I, I don't know how much more painful it is for them. <laughs> and the reason, though, the reason I'm glad that God said no, at least at this point, up to this point, 
is because any time that anything good happens from something I've said or something I've preached or something I've written or whatever, anytime anything good comes from anything I've done, I know it's not me. And the people know it's not me because they've seen me talk. It's God. It's the power of God working through a weak, broken vessel. And it's amazing. And so many times we're, 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 our backs are against the Red Sea and, and Pharaoh's coming with his 600 choice chariots or Sisera's coming with his 900 iron chariots and we think, oh, if only I had better chariots. If only I had a tank. If only I had a, a bridge or a tunnel through this Red Sea. If, if I had this, then God could use me. And God says, no. I want to use you just like you are. Because if I use you just as you are, and the people around you know he's broken, he wishes he lived somewhere else, he wishes he had this different, he wishes this was different and that was different. And yet God is still using him, God is still using her anyway. Then the world knows you don't save, I don't save, God saves. And as the people say, and as Paul says to Timothy, we need to remember that. We need to remember it ourselves before the world's going to realize it. Because if I go through my life trusting in things, I've made a one-time decision to follow Christ, but on a daily basis, if I am trusting in other things, then one of two things is going to happen. First, they're going to break apart and fall and sink in the bottom of the Red Sea. And that's going to be a bad witness. Says he trusts in the Lord, but look at him, he trusts in all this stuff. Trusts in his own ability. When he stutters and stammers and, 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 and gets, then, he, then he's so flustered. Or maybe I trust in those things and, and they work out for a little while. And that's even worse because then people start to think James saves and you save. And they're going to look to you. And then they're going to be the ones that fall over and fail. Because chariots and horses don't save, and neither do you. Neither do I. But if God uses us in our weakness, if He uses us in the moments where our backs are against the wall and the odds are stacked against us, then people will know Jesus saves. So we need to take time to remember. Or someone told me after the first service to rehearse. Do I rehearse? that the Lord saves. Do I sing about it? We, we sing about it this morning. Uh, we believe. I remember that. Father God, thank you for this time this morning. And, and I, I just, I'm so grateful to be here. And I'm so grateful for these people that love you and that you loved first. I'm so grateful for your son's work on the cross. I'm so thankful that you, in our brokenness, in our weakness, in our, uh, with our anxiety, with our uh, rough pasts, with our, oh, the list goes on and on. And yet you choose to use us. And we thank you and we praise you for the times that, that you miraculously work and, and you take away some of these thorns. And, and, and I pray that when you do that, that that wouldn't make us trust in ourselves again, but it would make us trust in you even more. But in the times that you do say no, 
that we would submit to that and understand that maybe the reason you're saying no is because you are about to show your glory in, in, in ways we can't even imagine so that the world might know God saves. Amen.